Welcome to the Testimony Podcast, people of faith telling the stories that matter from their lives. I'm your host, Andrew Chamberlain, and I'm delighted that you can join us for this conversation. You can subscribe to the Testimony Podcast on all of the major podcast distributors and follow us on Twitter at TestimonyCast and Instagram at TestimonyPodcast. And welcome to episode 17 of the Testimony Podcast. My guest for this episode is someone who describes himself as an ideas man, a dreamer and a visionary. He's also someone who I've known for over 30 years and who I first met when he was just a young lad in the church that I was part of with my wife when we were first married. My guest today is Dan White, who is currently on the leadership team at Lifehouse Church in St Paul's, Ontario in Canada. Dan grew up in London, England, before moving to Canada to study and serve God. Over the years, the Lord has taught him some hard lessons about humility in service and the challenge of submitting to God and trusting to him when the future feels very difficult. And one of the toughest things that Dan has had to face is the consequence of a concussion injury which he received when he was playing football. And what followed that injury was months of recuperation and a real test of faith and trust in the Lord. But in Dan's words, when he talks about that incident, God knows the way through and there are blessings that come from obedience and faith in a time of suffering. Dan talks about this and many of the other ways in which God has been present in his life. And this is his story. Dan, welcome to the Testimony Podcast. It's great to have you on the show. You and I go back many years. I was trying to work out how many is more than what, 35 years or something ridiculous like that. I've known you, you know, on and off. It's a real pleasure to have you with me today. Thank you. So I want to start by asking you a question about your life. I wonder if you could just share a little bit about your background, your history, um, and then up to what you're doing now. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I grew up in East London and uh, that's where we met at uh, the local Baptist church on the high road. <laughs> we did. And uh, of course, you were the, the football manager, my oh, first <laughs> football manager. And uh, I think probably played for, I don't know, 15 years or I don't, it was a long time. But um, so I lived for the first 20 years in East London and studied in Canterbury in Kent and then came home for a year. And then I moved to Canada to go to Bible College in Vancouver. So I spent a year in Vancouver, was planning on coming back to England, but ended up moving to London, Ontario. So I moved from London to Vancouver to another London. And I've been in that area of Ontario for 15 years now. So if I sound Australian, then that's the the, the hybrid British Canadian curl on the edges. <laughs> and what are you doing now then, Dan? What, what do you get up to now? Well, I'm married with three children under the age of four, which keeps me very busy. Um, my wife and I actually both juggle working and being at home with the kids. We wanted to um, be at home rather than send them to daycare. So I work part-time for our local church in St. Thomas is the name of the town where we live. And then my wife is an optometrist, so she's an eye doctor. 
Mm-hmm. And that really keeps us really busy. Busy. We also have a, a side business selling baby leather moccasins, which kind of came out of the blue. Okay. But between those three things, we do not have a lot of extra time. But we're here. We've been here for a while now, and we're thriving, and we love it. We're looking forward to spring because it gets really cold here. Um, yes. It's a nice day today, but it does go down to like minus ten, minus twenty at times. We have. Uh, one, two, three feet of snow at times. So come the spring, everyone will be outside and happy, hopefully. Yeah. Okay. Tell us a little bit more about your role now, your job. What do you do? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'm part of a church called Lifehouse. Um, it's a Pentecostal um, Assemblies of Canada church. I, my wife and I have been here for about three years. I've been working here for about two years. And we're going for a season of what we've called reinvention, just realizing that the message doesn't change, but we need to, mm. and mm. we can grow stale in our methods and, uh, and just really needing to freshen things up and, and ask the question, like, what are we doing? And I think also with, um, with COVID and with all of the restrictions, that question has gone even deeper within probably most churches across the world is what are we doing? Um, Because we, for the most part in the West have put our eggs in the Sunday morning basket and Mm. we're looking for the, uh, the superhero pastor to give this incredible message that's going to transform our lives and cause a revival to start outside the front door. And it's just, it's just not the, the new Testament pattern for, for church growth you know it's it's about discipleship it's about coming alongside the ones and the twos and fathering and mothering them mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i've had the privilege of really working alongside the lead pastor to spearhead that reinvention we're definitely seeing some of the fruit of this mm-hmm. season and mm-hmm. definitely on a on a bigger plane of the reinvention so that's what i spend my time doing it's a job but it's also just what i'm passionate about i want to see the church right thriving I, I want to be part of a thriving church that's having an impact in the community okay so i i want to move on then and talk to you a little bit about your journey of faith and particularly i wondered if you could share with us maybe a couple of instances two or three instances where you've really felt the companionship of christ and, the, and god close to you in your life mm-hmm. yeah i mean well i'm 38 I gave my life to Christ in that Baptist church when I was seven, you know, so, but from seven to 19, I perhaps um, knew it to be true and had a grasp of right and wrong. And in that sense, like I was morally most of the time, hopefully walking like rightly, if that's just being uh, transparent. But when I went to university, I think God really encountered me through being around peers who had a more spiritually real and fervent walk with Christ. Mm, you know, mm. um, I experienced what I'd call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, I began to hear his voice, not audibly, but speaking in my mind and my heart much mm. more clearly. And, and there was, it was like a fire that began to burn, you know, mm. like with mm. desire. So uh, like I'm starting to spend time with God each day in the word, right. Where I don't know if I've really done that as much before I had my delirious CDs playing, you know, through my <laughs> teens. If yeah. uh, for those who are maybe my age and up, they would know. 
Um, but beginning to really dig in and say, like, why do I believe what I believe? You know, I grew up with Christian parents. I love my parents. They're wonderful. Great example. And I've had lots of people have come alongside, but um, you've got to go there yourself and ask the questions and you've really got to critique it and say, what is this? Why is it true? And, and really dig into that relationship with God. So university was a real time of uh, encounter, a real time of growth. I also talk about it as a fork in the road. You know, I remember being at university and I'm at the freshers fair. Mm. I'm going to sign up for things. And uh, like, I, I immediately go to the, the football team. Stand. You <laughs> That's your fault. Um, and, uh, and, and get involved there and ended up playing for the first team and traveling Me around the, the area. So um, that was a good experience, but, uh, in the midst of it, there's the Christian Union stand, and I sheepishly went up to the stand. I was, I think, at that age, sometimes we can be kind of a little bit awkward in our own skin and in our own faith. Mm. And I said, um, I guess I better sign up. And <laughs> the girl who had a lot more confidence and spunk than me said, What do you mean you guess you better like sign up? And that, that kind of broke the ice, and yeah, and that was the beginning of, of really getting involved in a good um community of, of believers in canterbury yeah. and i'd come to canada for a year at bible college mm. and uh it was a mission school with the salvation army so as you can imagine like we're out amongst the you know the people in the the downtown east side of vancouver you know real the poorest postal district in canada like very um, prevalent drug alcohol use homelessness prostitution etc etc um, and all of our ministry was through the Salvation Army. So anyway, I did a placement in London with the Salvation Army as um, a chaplain. And at the end of my time, I felt God drawing me towards London and my housing plan fell through. And I remember kneeling on the floor of a friend's apartment and just saying, God, what do you want me to do? I've just sold everything I have. I've mm. moved to a foreign country. Um, I, I, I'm meant to work here. My visa hasn't come through. I have nowhere to live. And I felt God speak quite clearly into my mind. You're going to move into the homeless shelter. And it wasn't a happy day. You know, <laughs> it was like, no, like I'm, I'm here to help these people. I'm a missionary and I'm on a special journey. And, and you're telling me to move into the homeless shelter. Like that's not glamorous. That's not, that's not part of the plan. So anyway, it happened that within a week or two, I'm going to the director of the homeless shelter, who I know because I've done a placement there, and saying, is there a room available that I can stay in? And I was actually hoping he'd say, oh, no, no, come and stay at our house. But he didn't. <laughs> um, he said, yeah, sure. Let me show you a room on the fifth floor. Now, there were shared dorms and then there were private rooms. And before I make it sound like this is a hero story about me, like this is the Cadillac of homeless shelters in, <laughs> in North America. So like it's a new building, it's clean and, and you've still got all the same problems. Like as far as like what people are going through, but it wasn't rough, rough, you know, but right. so anyway, I moved into um, room 516 on the fifth floor 
And I remember coming through the the doors and I had to register with staff members who I knew because yeah. I'd been a student chaplain and saying, I'm moving in. And my pride was screaming out, you know, yeah, I bet. Yeah. that they would ask me like every question, you know, from like, how much money have you got in the bank? Like all, all those kind of questions that you don't necessarily tell your peers or your colleagues, you know, like. And so, again, it's that transparency, that vulnerability, or it was kind of a little bit humiliating. And I don't think that's God's intent. I think he wants to bring humility. I don't think he always works on the premise of humiliation. Mm, but so yeah. anyway, um, I, I go up to my room and I begin that journey of living in the homeless shelter. And so the, the timeline was somewhat unknown. It was probably based on when a working visa would come through because I had a student visa. So I could yes. be in the country, but I couldn't actually work and earn money, which obviously you need if you want to have your own place. And the director, who who is a pastor, like Major Lewis, that was his name, um, he told me, uh, like through the process, he said, I felt God drop it on my heart to not only give you a room to stay in, but to cover the cost of it. So he made sure that that was all covered. So I didn't pay a penny to be there, yeah. which yeah. is a, a mini miracle in itself. And I would I continued to work as a chaplain with the other chaplain who was employed there. So I would do chapel services and do pastoral ministry. Uh, and I was there for seven and a half months. Did you think so, you were going to be there for seven and a half months? when you started no <laughs> no no I didn't and it's interesting because something significant happened within a week or two of moving out and I move out I moved out once my visa came through sure. so that was the end day but a couple of weeks before that I was in my room and I'd spend a good amount of time in my room yeah, you know sure. I was ministering to people and I was preaching and leading worship and doing chapel services but like at the end of the day it's your go-to place it's your your quiet space it's mm. where you live and there were days there were days where I'd be you know dancing around the room worshiping Jesus I'm, I'm on this journey you know with God like uh, like it's kind of radical right like living in a home shelter and not not that it was about me in those moments but I was just praising him like God if this is what you're doing like like there'll be days where I had great faith and then there were other days where I'd be just on the ground weeping like mm. my god like what what's happening like I've I've left my country I've you know sold all of my cd collection and I've moved to another country and I'm I'm in a homeless shelter you know and it was really interesting because I was looking out the window of the, the the room of the building and across the way were these two banking towers of like a canadian bank and it would be similar to you know the like the canary wolf um, area on the east of london yeah where actually yes. a lot of my friends who i graduated university that they would work in so yeah. it reminded me of them and their lives and how their lives are coming along. You know, I'm in my early to mid twenties. Uh, many of them have they've secured banking jobs, you know, in the finance sector. Yep. Some of them are earning six figure salaries. And 
here I am in a foreign country um, with no family, no job, no money anymore. Um, I'm a number in a system. And God whispered into my heart in that moment and said, I've allowed all of this to be stripped away so that you would know that your identity is in Christ. Mm. And it was like, I had to come all this way to hear those words. And a disclaimer, like none of those things that I've mentioned are bad, you know, Mm. but you can't, as the scripture says, you can't build your life on those things because they're so fleeting. They're so temporary, you know? So like, don't put your trust in like, the beautiful home of the white picket fence because it might burn down you know don't put your yeah. um hope in like this incredible job because you might get fired you know and so yeah god allowed all of those things to be stripped away that i may know that my identity is in christ so so god took you to another country he made you homeless well i say he made you you were homeless and you didn't have your visa so you actually you were you were like the other guys in there you were homeless and and out of that came a lesson about your identity in Christ so he took everything I say everything he took a lot of things away from you so that you could find out who you were in a sense in Christ yeah and I mean I've never experienced homelessness up to this point I've not had a drug addiction or an alcohol addiction in many ways I didn't have a level to relate with any of the people that I'd be ministering to. Yeah. And so it was a real gracious move and a non-fatal, non-harmful, gracious move from God to allow me to experience that. Yeah. You know, he didn't, yeah. he, he does, he doesn't need to take, take us through alcohol and drug addiction to minister to people who are suffering in those areas. Yeah. But I believe he said, you know what, I'm going to give you this season in a homeless shelter to bring some humility, to help refine your understanding of your identity. We had some really amazing experiences. You know, I saw many people come to the Lord. Uh, Our our chapel, um, while it's not about numbers, it grew from like five people and a dog to like sometimes we'd have like 80 people in this little chapel. Yeah. And we'd have these really amazing times. And there was this community that was building. And now God gets all the glory for that, but, I get I get to be a little piece of that puzzle as a, yes. a minister who yeah. has gone for a season that prepared me. Yeah, yeah. Is there another one of those that you want to share with us? Is there another story that you've got where maybe you've just sensed God's presence or God's companionship with you through something? Yeah, for sure. Perhaps one of the most pivotal stories for me and that stands out and I'll share about today as part of testimony in 2012, and this is your fault again, is I was playing football and uh, I'm just kidding. I, I was playing football. It was, it was indoors because it was the winter. It was six aside, And I'd gone up to head of the ball and I was close to the other team's goal. And as I headed the ball, the goalkeeper, perhaps clumsily, um, headed me in the head. Oh, God. And, yeah. um, and so I took quite a hit. And I actually scored from the header. The ball went past him and went in the goal, but I didn't know that part because I fell to the floor and I woke up with like blurry vision to the lights um, on the top of the 
um, warehouse that we were yeah. planning. And um, I had had a little cut on the side of my head, which healed up in a couple of days. But the actual concussion and the symptoms around it lasted for another five and a half, six months. So what kind of symptoms did you have then from that injury? Well, initially there was a, like a, some double vision yeah. and uh, a sensitivity to light. The thing that I, I realized pretty soon on, I think I'd taken a day, the following day was a work day. So I'd taken the following day off. And then I think the Wednesday I went into work, I drove to work and the, the drive would be about 25 minutes. And after about 10 minutes, the only way I can explain it is it was like the batteries were starting to run out in my brain. I, mm-hmm. I, it was like I was getting tired and I was almost feeling sleepy, like I could just pull over and have a nap. But it's 8.30 in the morning mm-hmm. and I've only been up for an hour. Um, and it was a really strange experience. So anyway, I, I made it to work. I I was teaching in this facility and I probably lasted to about 11 a.m. and then said to my colleagues, I need to go home. I can't, I can't do it. I was like cognitive function was hard. Mm. Um, I was just feeling really tired. So I went home and I, I went to bed and within, I, I went to the doctor in the next couple of days and the doctor said, you need to sit in the dark and do nothing for a week. Now, mm. obviously, you know me some, and those people who know me will know that that would be a tough ask for me to <laughs> just sit there and do nothing for a week. I think that'd be difficult for anyone to sit in a dark room for a week. It's it's depressing, you know? Yeah. Um, and it, was, it wasn't like I could watch movies or do anything. I, I wasn't able to read a book um, because I had blurry vision. So um, I listened to music, but after a while that can get really boring. So yeah. That was the first um, that was the first week and the symptoms kind of if anyone's had a concussion, you'll know that sometimes the symptoms can change like from day to day and even from hour to hour. And um, and so I experienced light sensitivity, noise sensitivity, as I said, fatigue. Uh, as I got deeper into it, I even experienced things like social anxiety and uh, like panic attacks. And now I'm. I'm somewhat trained in helping people with those things because of the line of work I've been in. So on one level, I knew how to deal with it, but it was still extremely difficult Mm. um, walking through that and feeling quite helpless um, being in a house where my roommates would be out 10 hours of the day. And obviously my family's um, 3000 miles away and um, friends could maybe come a little bit to say hi, but then I'd get tired and, and need to, need to sleep so so I was wondering if you could tell us how this experience impacted your faith and maybe you'll tell us a little bit more about some of the other sort of features of this injury that you had but um what did this do to your faith and how did your faith and how did your kind of walk with God work or not work maybe during this time yeah no it's a good question I think it was probably day two of sitting in the dark that I wrote on a post-it note stay encouraged because mm. uh, like, it, I mean, David speaks, says about David in the scriptures, like how he strengthened himself in the Lord under a real time of trial, you know, almost a time of betrayal with his, uh, with his own. Mm. Um, and I, I was just aware that this could be a really difficult season. And the key is going to be staying encouraged. And it's funny. I, there's a, there's a painting 
um, on my wall that just says hope. Mm. And, um, and I believe that that hope is like this powerful force that will cause us to sink or swim really. And so staying encouraged, being full of courage to walk through it. Um, that would be key. Now, I believe in healing. You know, if you take the miracles out of the New Testament, it's a very short read. And so I believe in like creative miracles. I believe in divine healing. I, I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen God um, heal people's physical bodies. And so I think the first place you go to is it's almost like a get me out of jail card, <laughs> you know, that you want to play like God heal me. And, and yeah. I, I prayed with fervency I, I prayed with what I think was great faith you know between naps because uh, <laughs> I couldn't often go for a long time but um, and, and and I didn't see anything I, I in fact it got worse yeah and uh, I, I've learned a lot more about concussions and even the medical community since 2012 has, has learned a lot more about concussions and will perhaps okay. treat it differently and give different guidance and advice but like sitting in the dark actually caused a lot of my symptoms to to um, exacerbate and get worse so like it was the long haul in terms of my relationship with God it wasn't mm. like uh just hold on like grit your teeth and uh like trust God and you're going to get through this because um it was as I said it was I think it was five and a half months before we found a place that I could actually get treatment that would deal with the problem and that I would actually see significant results. So yeah. like five and a half months, like, like it, we, we think about COVID, you know, and it's been a year and how long that mm. feels well, five and a half months when you're on your own in it for the, for the most part, like it actually felt like an eternity. And mm. so I had conversations with God, like, am I willing to rem stay alive? If you like, um, if this is my lot for the rest of my life, mm. which mm. is a kind of a crazy conversation. You know, I'm a 30, I'm a 30 year old healthy man who really has just a, a few knee injuries from playing football. But other than that, like, and now I'm asking the question, like, like God, am I willing to, you know, allow this to be my lot in life? If, if, if nothing happens, if I'm not healed, if we don't find a treatment that works for this mm. and and then there were other times where I'd pray and I'd be like I didn't get to a place of desperation at the beginning and, and I think that's okay I think we're called to walk in faith we don't have to hit desperation straight away but sometimes he allows us to go there mm. and and so I do remember praying like God I am so desperate I'm feeling so broken in the midst of this I'm so worn out and exhausted by it like please heal me you know, mm. like, please, like, like I, I'm begging you. And, and that's really not the right posture for like a loving father. I don't think he, he's not looking to grind us down until we beg him. That's just not his heart as a father, but, but for sure, there were times of real desperation and mm. there's something called post-concussion syndrome, which is basically you've moved through a concussion and, it doesn't look like you're going to get better and you're just dealing with like these symptoms. You may be able to do life somewhat, but not really. And um, 
the rates of suicide amongst people who have had a have post concussion syndrome is really high. <clears throat> and so I had to choose. I had to choose. Mm. Are you going to choose life or death? And I just said, I'm going to choose life. You know, I, I I know that Jesus is life. So even if I'm in a dark room, I can encounter the one who is life. Mm. And it's easy for me to say all this now. And this is the condensed version. Sure. And there were moments where I'd be laying on my bed weeping. And then there'll be moments where I had great faith and I was walking around the yeah. room. God, yeah. I'll praise you. And I'm going to glorify you. I'm going to live for you. Whatever happens, you know, whatever the situation, I'm going to live for you. And yeah, six months. Wow. So when you were going through that, did it change your perception of who God is and his relationship with you? So like, like how, what was your relationship? In what way was it different at the end of that process, would you say, than it was at the beginning? I think it fortifies you in your spirit. You know, it puts more of uh, like it talks about us setting our faces like Flint. And I think it just puts that determination and that that iron in your spirit where you say, nope, I'm, I'm going to stand. You know, I, I'm not going to turn. And so I think it really strengthens us. And again, I would never have signed up for it. But now that I've gone through it, I, w- I wouldn't give it away for anything because of what I learned in the midst of it yeah. and yeah. you know it's interesting because one of the ways that I was able to um, engage with scripture through the season was what I had memorized yeah because I couldn't for the most part I couldn't read so at um, like uh, over the last kind of 10 years leading up to this I memorized a fair amount of scripture and, and, you, and it's surprising often how much more we know than we think we know even simply because the Holy Spirit can bring it to remembrance. But mm. um, I had a good good amount of Psalms. And, and one of the Psalms, probably the first Psalm I memorized was Psalm 23, and which I think a lot of people will be familiar with, if not memorized. And it says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it's almost like you're going to walk through it at some point, but yeah. it's just how you respond, though I walk through it. And maybe that's an encouragement when our kids are going through stuff, though they walk through it. Um, so I'm walking through this valley and I felt like God gave me four, I call them anchors or keys, things that things that help you to hold on or things that you, you can hold on to in the midst of the, the challenge or the trial that I think are probably um, universal for yeah. the most part, whatever the trial, however big or small, mm. long or short. Mm. And so the first one is that God is with us. And on one level, this stuff is so simple, but obviously when you're in the midst of it, it becomes that much more real. Like, so the first one, God is with us. Like he is with me in the midst of this. And, and it helped me to overcome loneliness because I spent a lot of time on my own. So I say that I was alone, but I wasn't lonely. Like I actually, like brother Lawrence talks about practicing the presence of God. And I think as we grow in maturity, in our relationship with God we're learning to try and abide in him to try and um, remain in that place of an awareness of his presence so God is with us so uh, like again because God is spirit in our context you know Jesus as a man is not sitting next to me but he's here by his spirit and his spirit living in me I can still I, I 
I'm not alone. I can experience his his presence, his joy, his comfort, his encouragement. So that would be the first one. Um, and, and again, that is straight out of Psalm 23. Like, yeah. oh, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You are with me. You know, I think the next thing, the, the second one is that God is for me. And one of the accusations that I had to shut down really quickly about the concussion was firstly against the guy that headbutted me. I don't know him. I've never seen him since. Yeah. But we're always looking when we were getting in trouble, we're looking for someone to blame. We want to point the finger, you know, like ask my wife, you know, it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's the classic in marriage, right? We want to blame our wife or, or our spouse or our, our, our we want to blame someone else. So I, the first thing I had to shut down was blaming um, this guy who had by yeah. me. Yeah. Then I had to work through the blaming God, like, God, why did you let this happen? All of yeah. that kind of thing, right? Yeah. Like, I'm sure like a lot of that would be in the book of Job. And then, Dan, why did you go and play that night, right? And you start to second guess yourself and all of that nonsense. But um, God is for us, you know. Uh, one of my favorite verses that's familiar is Zephaniah 3.17, you know. The Lord your God is with you, is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He'll quiet you with his love. And he's rejoicing over you with singing. So there's a picture. If If you need that if you need a verse to sum up God is for us, like there it is. And I think I had to cultivate that reality, even though my emotions and my feelings and even my understanding of the situation sometimes didn't line up with that. Mm. But mm. I, I want, I don't want to create a theology based on my experience. I want my experience to match my theology. And my theology is that God is for us. So I'm going to, I'm going to go after that. So I want my mind to come into agreement with that. So God is for us. Number three, God knows the way through. And if, again, if we go back to that valley of the shadow of death, you know, he's been through that valley so many times. It's just that this is your first time. So he's very familiar with all of the bumps, with all of the hills, with all of the slopes, with all of the gravel. He's very familiar with all of that, you know, it's just this your first time. And so going through this concussion, yes, there were questions like, am I going to come out the other side? You know, am I going to be able to function? Am I going to be able to go out in daylight? You know, am I just going to be like a zombie or a vampire that can only go outside when it's dark because the lights are too bright? You know, um, but God knows the way through. And that was a real journey of trust. Again, putting my thoughts my comprehension of the situation, my understanding, putting all of that aside and saying, God knows the way through. Mm. I have no idea how this is going to pan out. I can't in my own finite mind figure this out, but God knows the way through. Mm. Mm. And, and the fourth anchor is that God rewards us. You know, he rewards those who diligently seek him. Um, like it takes, like when we have, well, let me say this bit again. Um, Without faith, it's impossible to please him, but it brings him great pleasure when we walk by faith. Mm. And he re he rewards openly, you know, like even in the Sermon on the Mount where it talks about giving, fasting, and praying. Like at, each of the, at the end of each of those, you see there's a reward for them. And when we yeah. walk through the valley and we trust him, you know, it says there's a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So. If we're trained by it, there's great reward. 
if we're not trained by it, there may not be a reward. If we didn't learn the lesson, we may have to go around the mountain again. <laughs> but so I really didn't want to go around that mountain again. So no. I said, God, let me learn every lesson I need to learn, burn away every part of my character that needs to be burned away right now. Do everything because I, this is a one timer. I don't want to do concussion syndrome again. It's, it's so awful and it's so horrible. So let's just get it done with. Yeah. And he's rewarded me. He's, uh, there's so much reward. Can you give us an example of what that reward is for you then? Can you give us a, more, a kind of clear example perhaps of how that's worked out for you? Yeah. So I'm a week into the concussion and I'm sitting in the dark and uh, I'm 30 years old. I'm not married. And most of my friends are. And they persuaded me to sign up for online dating. <laughs> now, I didn't want to do it. And I think that the stigma around online dating is dissipating very quickly in our generation. Yes. It's becoming yeah. much more normal. 10 years ago, maybe there's a little bit of a stigma. 30 years, for sure. Not online dating 30 years ago, but a version of it. Um, so I signed up back in the summer for like online dating and it hadn't really bore any fruit <laughs> to be honest but so anyway it was the day after or the day of the doctor saying you need to go and sit in the dark and do nothing and the only way I could interact with any technology was an i my ipad on the lowest um brightness setting right and i received an email from the dating website that i hadn't been on for months and it was from a girl whose name was Rachel. And she started a conversation with me. So it's funny how God works. And, and it's funny just, wow. just even the timing. Yeah. Um, I didn't I didn't know how long I was going to be in the dark, but I thought maybe we can get through this. Maybe I can get through this in uh, two weeks, three weeks. Yeah. So we're heading into Christmas and we would chat. And to be honest, that was what I looked forward to each day was receiving a message from, yeah. from Rachel, you know, I guess if, and you know, if, what's you had, like, if you had so little other stimulus going on anyway, you're sitting in a dark room. I mean, wait, what time of year did this, uh, did this injury happen? When was it? Uh, it was the end of November, the end of November. So, so you're a few weeks in this Christmas is coming. I'm not surprised. You, you know, if so if somebody's communicating with you and wants to again and again, you would look forward to it. Wouldn't you? I guess. Oh man, for sure. And, and she doesn't necessarily know that I'm like a hermit in a dark room with a concussion. Right. Yeah. I, um, I was going to ask you this. So how much did you kind of fess up about actually I've bashed my head. I'm in sitting in a dark room and I'm doing quite a lot of that now. <laughs> I, I did. I, I was pretty honest. I was uh, like, I was pretty transparent early on, but we hadn't, we hadn't done a video call and we yeah. hadn't spoken on the phone. So, um, she didn't like necessarily know all the details. She didn't even know I had an English accent until we met, which is kind of bizarre. Um, but so we did meet after a month, but even the day before I'm trying to do longer naps to try and recharge enough that when yes. she comes and she's from a, the next town along and she was driving to my town cause I can't drive. Um, if I can recharge enough, and that's bad science actually as you understand more about concussions but yeah. maybe i could last you know long enough that you know it would be a good date yeah so, anyway 
Um, we had a first date. Um, it was kind of a gong show. We played Scrabble in the dark and went for dinner at a, a low-lit restaurant where I actually asked her if we could blow the candle out that was on the table because it was uh, affecting me. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I went and stood in the toilets for a couple of minutes and just turned the light off just again. I didn't need to actually use the toilet. I just needed to refresh my brain. So I yeah. just stood yeah. there and turned the lights off. Um, but that was our first date. And um, she, she was... She was a godsend, really. She walked through it with me. And here's the irony. She's an optometrist. So um, she uh, helps people with their, their physical vision. Now, she doesn't directly deal with people with um, concussions, but she was. it was the right time. And she came alongside and she would visit every Tuesday and every Saturday. Mm-hmm. And we'd chat in between. And she sat beside me while I got treatment three times a week in another town and didn't leave my side and we did that for months and months where i had to receive the treatment and year and a half later we got married and now we're married for six or seven years with three kids so when you talk about the reward god rewards us (laughs) man and there's other things but that that would for sure be the valley that lead to the the table where he yes, you know yeah. just pours out his blessing on us. Okay, fantastic. Is it? We're, we're coming to the end of our our chat now, Dan. Is there anything else you want to share with us? You know, is there like one or two key lessons that you've learned in life that you, you would say to people? If you forget everything else I've said, just remember this. I think holding on to those four anchors yes is the way is the way to see us through um like we've spoken about it you can see it in both of the stories i've shared Mm. and the reality of those four truths just grows and grows as we walk through our Mm. lives and god takes Mm. us through different things that are gonna challenge us and stretch us in different ways and i mean i'm in a season where i'm at home often with three preschool kids and it's a totally different experience i mean the concussion the homeless shelter gave me ample time probably more time than i wanted to spend with god um in my journal in my bible with my guitar you know learning to minister to god and now i'm in a situation where i don't have any time (laughs) <laughs> I don't have any free time, you know, like yes. as soon as I wake up, it's to change a baby's bum or yeah. it's to play with my two-year-old where I've got my Bible on my lap and she's running over with, you know, Paw Patrol or something and wants to, me to read that. So it's a yes. completely different situation. But someone yeah. challenged me even the other day is we need to learn to abide in God in every situation. Yeah. And so I think of brother Lawrence and he's like this monk, like centuries ago, I think, I'm not sure how old he would be. Um, but he like learned to practice the presence of God while washing dishes, you know? Yes. And I think that whatever season we're in learning and abiding in the reality that God is here, he's with me, you know, he's for me. I think that's massive that God isn't like, mainly disappointed 
mainly sad, mainly mad. I, I think probably a lot of us have an internal dialogue or monologue that says, you know, like, oh, you know, God is just pray. He's pretty bummed about me, you know, like I'm, I'm just coming up short. I'm, I messed that up. I'm just not really a good enough Christian, whatever, you know, but actually like living from that place of he delights in me. Like he is singing over me. He thinks that I'm the best thing since sliced bread. I mean, if we could have that tape playing in our head, that changes, that changes the way that we walk out life from almost hunched over to like standing like strong and walking, you know, forwards with confidence. And then he knows the way through. That's wonderful whether you're going through trials or not, because we're all hitting a new season where it's like, oh, like, God, what are you going to do here? Like, what are you doing in this season? Like, when are you going to bring my spouse along? Like, um, what about that passion in my heart to do this? Or like that job isn't falling into place or things going on with family or friends. And God says, I know the way through. And he wants to establish that reality so that we're doing things in step and in time with. And then obviously he's, he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And Mm. like, I believe like I'm living for like the, like eternal life and abundant life. And he really wants to bless us so that we can be a blessing to others. Like we should be the most joyful people on the planet. Like we shouldn't be the most abundantly alive people on the planet. We should be glowing you know, and um, because like it's the best life. And again, and I can say this from the testimonies is I I won't preach like become a Christian and everything's going to be easy, but I will tell you become a Christian. And though you're going to walk through trials, your life's going to be incredible. And so if there's anyone listening, who's not a a Christian, I can tell you that, you know, it's not going to be easy. Like the trials don't go away. And sometimes Sometimes they become harder because you've got an enemy now who hates you, but God rewards you mm. so much. Mm. And that is, that's worth it. That's so worth it. And I've just decided to give my whole life to that more and more. There it is. That's great, Dan. Thanks very much indeed. It's, 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 been, um, it's been wonderful to hear your stories. Great to hear just that kind of, spirit-filled infectious enthusiasm that you have for life and uh, what god's doing for you and 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 that invitation to all of us really isn't it to to share in that abundant life that god has for everyone dan thanks very much for your time it's been a, a pleasure to have a chat with you for the testimony podcast and god bless you mate thank you andy thank you for listening to the testimony podcast you can subscribe to the testimony podcast on all of the major podcast distributors and follow us on Twitter at TestimonyCast and Instagram at TestimonyPodcast. If you want to find out more about the Christian faith and connect with someone to talk about your experiences or answer your questions, just go to www.christianity.org.uk from wherever you are in the world. That's www.christianity.org.uk. I look forward to sharing more of the stories that matter from people of faith with you soon. Until then, thank you for listening and goodbye.